Unbalanced.mn podcast where me and my distinguished co-host try to answer the question, what the fuck is happening on the American right today? I'm joined, I'm Logan Carroll, again, that fucking rust man, I'm Logan Carroll, <laughs> coming back after a six-month hiatus, and I'm joined by Mr. Miles Q. Bragg. Wow, man, has it been six months already? Mm. Yeah. Oh my I got goodness. like uh, I was looking at the uh, the Pinecast where I uh, upload all the podcasts and it says like last activity six months and I was like fuck That's half a year what the hell has happened with the time oh, man. yeah well I like to say I've been up to my eyeballs in city politics which I think we're gonna talk about a little bit like there's I've been like reflecting on like one incident in particular that like I think has a lot of bearing on this show and this uh, season in particular there's okay. definitely a lot to talk about in terms of local politics. Yeah, oh my god, and we're all so excited to be here, including Miles's cat. You can hear that thumping and running, you may hear some... Yeah, I apologize for the zoomies, everyone. I apologize <laughs> for my loud radiator. So yeah, what's been keeping you busy, Logan? Like I said, we had that uh, Minneapolis city election, what, six weeks ago now? Mm -hmm. That was fucking crazy. Yeah. And uh, I'm like a journalist, I covered it, and that kept me a little bit busy, but my wife runs a tenants' rights organization. She was leading the push there were three ballot initiatives and she was sort of in charge behind the scenes of one of those three and we, so, had, we had good news on that front relatively you would say yeah oh that one ballot initiative was the one that um the lefties won this there's the only citywide uh thing that the lefties won in the election oh in minneapolis, in minneapolis. across the river there was the rent control initiative as well that yeah. also passed so that's good news yeah yeah um, so that's been cool, but it did mean that like, I, I got oodles of extra child time because, <laughs> right. yeah. you know, my wife is a serious person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one of you has to be. Mm. <laughs> thank God. Thank God. I found a serious person <laughs> yeah. to marry. Uh, I got to steer the ship. Uh, I've, I've been busy, you know, same stuff, different day, just monitoring a lot of these guys on the ground mm. locally. Um, Obviously, my attention is usually paid more towards, like, the ardent neo-Nazi types. But, I mean, as we've talked about in the previous season, that line between mainstream Republican or business type and theocratic fascist, you know, those lines are all starting to kind of blur and meld away. So, Oh, my God. I got a, I got a new word for you. Okay. Peri-fascist. Peri-fascist. Uh-huh. It and isn't fascist. But there's a lot of similarities to fascism. It's also like very explicitly nationalist. And there's also like a willingness on the part of this movement to ally itself with like true, actual, honest to God, neo-fascists. Right. So like peri-fascist, like peripheral, like it's around fascism. Gotcha. Imagine if uh, like Reagan era conservatism were like the genitals mm. and fascism was the asshole. <laughs> this current would be the taint oh right or the, the transitionary period the perineum the perineum oh god perifascism the perifash that see you should have just started with that that would have clicked for me right away <laughs> i know the perineum quite well <laughs> but i mean it kind of is um 
reminiscent of Echo's Urfascism, you know, which was seeking yeah. to break down the rigidity around the original definition. And also, it's a butthole joke. Which we need more of on this show. <laughs> if, if I have anything to say about it, we'll get there this season. Season two. Right. Butthole season. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave that there. I think it's worth looking at where or why does the right wing think that they have a case to call us fascists? We're going to hit on that a little bit with the main segment tonight. I didn't explicitly write it into the script when I was writing it, but it's something I thought about a lot when I was working on it. The way that the right uses that specifically around the debate on education mm. and like the role of schools and what schools should teach kids. Right, right. No, I could definitely see how that would fit in. Yeah. Cool. Well, should we get to the news and then we could talk about that stuff? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. This city is too small And the buildings are too tall I wanna go back to Wyoming Well, 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 where to get you all started to get you caught up on the news. The big push from the right right now, infiltrate, get involved, and capture local politics on just about every level you can think of. From the PTA to the school boards, local comptroller to city council, everyone from the Proud Boys to the right-wing campus groups is making this push. We'll dive more into that move and how it should inform our advocacy as the season goes on, but for now, here are a few of the stories you missed while we were away. Man, just add, we are recording live in Charles Bukowski's apartment. You can hear the... Uh... <laughs> you got some Bukowski on that, huh? Goddamn radiator. <laughs> oh, you got some Bukowski in you, it sounds like. Oh, you think? Goddamn radiator! Goddamn radiator! Fix my drink, Logan. Now make it a haiku. <laughs> yeah. Good luck there. All right. For our first story, Kyle Rittenhouse cleared of all charges related to deadly Kenosha shooting. In one of the larger stories of this year, right-wing vigilante Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted for murder charges in his role of the death of two and the serious injury of a third during a Black Lives Matter protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last year. The media apparatus on the right wing did its predictable work, elevating and lauding the then-teenager's actions, saying that he was, quote, cleaning up the streets and just doing the job the police were failing to do. Perhaps even more predictable has been the fallout afterwards. Rittenhouse is now making the right wing media circuit, first on Tucker Carlson's nightly program, then on Steven Crowder's Louder with Crowder. Ooh and most recently making an appearance at campus group Turning Point USA's America Fest this last weekend in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh my God. He hobnobbed there with a who's who of right-wing celebrities. There's two more quick ones, real quick. Brian James, a co-founder of the hardcore racist skinhead gang The Vinlanders, who is now a current Proud Boy leader, celebrated the verdict with his hundreds of subscribers on Telegram. James added in the caption of his post, quote, no fucks given, I would kill every last one of you communists and eat a cheeseburger while I prepare your body for disposal. No remorse, no quarter, that's what's coming for you. End quote. Except the quarter pounder. <laughs> and he's a big fucking boy, so the, 
It's kind of funny that he says that. So double quarter pounder? Yeah, damn right. With cheese? With extra cheese. And apparently the, the Proud Boys, in response to, you know, in, in their Telegram groups, there was comments like, you know, they're, they're calling for the stacking of bodies like cord wood. Um, so, yeah. You're written house and everybody's having a normal one. Jesus, thank God. The GOP has so thoroughly denounced the Proud Boys <laughs> as similar organizations and refused to allow them at their... Or- I know. I know. Ugh. At least we can count on the GOP to do that, right? Damn, man. And apparently, I should also make a note. It's really silly, and we don't even need to include this. But in the Crowder interview, uh-huh. Crowder asks him, What do you look for in a woman? That's plan. Yeah. No, what are you looking for in a woman? Uh, you know, some person that just wants to, like, uh, date me for who I am. Um, and what I'm looking for in a woman is I like I like a girl with a little bit of butt. Okay. Yeah, for uh, sure. Some waist, big tits. This guy's, like, fucking 15 years his young, younger than him, and he's asking him, what do you look for in a oh woman? Oh, my God. How old's right, Rittenhouse? He's 17? He's 18 he's, now. Oh, God. Rittenhouse. <laughs> Remember when you asked me last year, can you name any intellectuals on the right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse. R- Rittenhouse, oh Crowder, God. the whole clan. Oh, my God. Oh, it's outrageous. I'm not going to lie, like, you know, city politics was like, it was really intense the last six months. And I was like, oh, then in it and following it. And, you know, we talked about it because my wife was doing her thing and I was following slightly different things. And, um, and I, and I kept thinking that like, shit, I got to get back to the podcast. Have It's just like, it's, it's my project. It's my relaxation. And, yeah. oh man, I know we need oh, to find shit. different hobbies. No, man, this is just like, this is like. This is like Adderall. I'm getting like Ugh. edgy and fucking jittery just hearing this shit. Yeah. It has, it has a funny effect on your psyche after doing this for a really long time and trying to keep up with <laughs> the nuances, the drama, the characters. Ugh, and shit, sometimes I've, I, li- I just have to unplug for a while. You know, I can't follow the headlines every day the same way that I used to. It's just you got to do it for your own oh mental health. You know? Oh, my God. Well, props to you. Thanks for bringing us the news. <sighs> I try. The next story uh, is one pulled from our favorite blog, This Week in Fascism, over on itsgoingdown.org. So please check those folks out and support their vital work as they help support ours. Steve Bannon publicly bragged about organizing January 6th. According to a report by Media Matters on his War Room podcast that aired days before the January 6th riot, Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon admitted that he had advanced knowledge of the events that were set and then did take place on January 6th. Media Matters reports that Bannon stoked violence by using language of war that instigated his followers to participate in the riot in an effort to overturn the election in favor of a second term for President Donald Trump. Bannon effectively encouraged his followers to travel to Washington, D.C. to participate in the violence. The Media Matters review has found that in addition to repeatedly boasting about his involvement with and insider knowledge of the Trump legal team's strategy to overturn the election results in Congress on January 6th, Bannon previewed the events in dramatic and violent historical context and singled out then-Vice President Mike Pence as the figure who could steal the election for Trump. 
He also used the language of war to describe how Trump supporters should view the events of January 6th and encouraged them to travel to Washington, D.C. to participate in the rallies taking place that day. Then on January 5th, Bannon bragged about posting bail for Enrique Tarrio, leader of the Proud Boys, who had only been arrested days earlier. Bannon later said that we put calls out last night trying to put bail up for the leader of the Proud Boys, who had recently been arrested for burning a Black Lives Matter flag. Um, at least two dozen members of the Proud Boys face federal charges in connection with the attack on the Capitol, including four who were charged with conspiracy. A Proud Boy, Dominic Pizzola, was w among the first of the insurrectionists to break into the Capitol by smashing a window with a riot shield he stole from a police officer. The story is from a couple months old at this point, but I point it out because it never ceases to amaze me how absolutely instrumental Steve Bannon has been and continues to be in building and sustaining this revolutionary right-wing movement that we see today. Not only has he been intimately involved in each part of this plot for the last several years now, but he continues to maintain a clear leadership role despite his particular lack of charisma and his inability to shave his stupid fucking face. I just, he's such a despicable human. But like I said, all roads lead back to this guy. And that's why I think he's worthy of talking about. Well, I mean, he was going to start like an alt-right training camp yeah. at an Italian monastery. Yeah, he, like, and then they ran him out. bought the monastery, right? Yeah, well, he was going to. I don't think like the, the official like transfer purchase... Okay, ever, so, ever so they place. stopped him before it, the deal went through, not after. Because he was loud about it, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to use this as a training camp for my fucking right-wing nationalist warriors I mean, or whatever. He's, he's fucking hardcore, man. <laughs> he's dumb as fuck, though. He's dumb as a box of rocks. No. He just, I shouldn't say he's dumb. No. He's not dumb. It, it, it just happens where like you, you have an understanding of the world, and you think you're right, and you're shameless about yeah. <laughs> And you have and you have the means and connections it. to do so. Yeah, like yeah, I said, you got shamelessly. Yeah, Seinfeld stacks. Yep. Why Seriously. not buy an Italian monastery and start an alt right train? God no, damn it, Jerry he's, Seinfeld. He's a problem, and we need to keep an eye on him. Everything that that guy is, touches is bad. Fuck, and he's still it's in the bad. news. Still in the news. And now for our final story from this week in fascism, which should lead well into our main topic this evening. Proud Boys invade school boards and hold marches in New York, L.A., and beyond. The Daily Beast reports that the Cape Fear chapter of the pro-Trump neo-fascist group the Proud Boys showed up to pressure members of the new Hanover Health and Human Services Board to overturn their mask mandate on Friday, November 12th. In an act of complete intimidation, Proud Boys showed up wearing masks and uniforms, quote, vowing to ramp up the pressure on authorities, end quote, while the board voted 8-4 to four to end the mandate. Instead of voting on an extension, the measure was rolled back for North Carolina's most, most populous county. One member of the group insisted that masks are child abuse and then instigated the crowd to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Earlier in the week, the Proud Boys showed up to a school board meeting having a similar vote. When asked about their presence, they said, quote, If our presence escalates that pressure and makes it to the point where we become a distraction to conducting business and they just change the mask mandate so we go away, that's a win, end quote. School board members that night opted to delay a decision ahead of the health board's Friday meeting. 
Those who oppose the rollbacks are deeply concerned about how a surge in COVID cases might continue to put undue pressure on healthcare workers, lead to more deaths, and endanger community members. While news of the Proud Boys' latest acts of intimidation went viral and even got a mention on Saturday Night Live, in other cities, the group took part in ongoing anti-vaccine rallies and marches in and on Long Island. A group of about 20 Proud Boys took to the streets. David Neewert wrote, Proud Boys continued to deploy their post-January 6th strategy, that is, by focusing their organizing around local right-wing protests and attaching their neo-fascist presence and attaching their neo-fascist presence by providing, quote, security. This week, by showing up to anti-vaccination marches in New York and Los Angeles, they also turned up at a local school board meeting in suburban Illinois to intimidate officials over LGBTQ-friendly books in their school library. So yeah, that story is only about a month old, but already we're seeing this tactic just explode in popularity on the right, running a Google of the term school board protest will net you hundreds of recent relevant results. And we've even seen some of that extend here to the Twin Cities in greater Minnesota. Without massive organizing amongst anti-racists and anti-fascist types, I think the fear that the far right may be successful in their endeavor to capture local political and educational power is a real one. Yeah. So the time to educate and mobilize is here. I think you need a catch a catchphrase for when the news ends, like And that's it for the news. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, no, man. no, no, no. Something Peace cool. out, A Town Down. Yes. No. Yes, <laughs> that's the one. Not not A Town though. No. It's T P yeah. and P peace out. Yeah, yeah. Peace and love from across the river. <laughs> that's the one. And see. Find me out on 53 and coming back home Carrying my misery in a bag upon my shoulders Misting big old lilac trees in my parents' backyard Drinking round the fire under a blanket made of stars Something about small town and country way of life just nice things yeah call me pretty <laughs> I need yes. attention I, I think you're pretty <laughs> well no one else gets to see my face so it's true or your sweet ass unicorn riot shirt oh yeah gotta support the local crew but six months later, we're back at it, and we're going to start on some ground we covered last season. Cool. The uh, 2019 Carver County school referendum. Oh, man. That was a that was a crazy one. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I think about it and <laughs> talk to people involved in it, and, and we're going to talk about it a lot right now. I dream about it all the time. <laughs> that referendum, it was the toughest oh, one you, you'll, I've ever seen. You'll remember. You'll remember <laughs> when I play this super cut of an Alpha News video. A total barn burner. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Try now. Check one, check two, check one. Civilance, civilance. Okay, you've done some recording in the past. That was from a... Um, a Saturday Night Live skit. I didn't realize that was an actual thing, and I just started 
maybe to start with, though, you could just uh, begin by saying your full name and sure. the keynote's version of who you are. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm Zach Suresig, and I am a parent of three students in Eastern Carver County School District. In the spring of 2019, committed to just doing something with my life other than just work <laughs> and family stuff, something for myself. What Zach settled on was to build up his business and to get involved with the local school district. Now, Zach reached out to me a couple of years ago after he read my piece in City Pages, which we talked about last season, Mm -hmm. um, right around the time that he got involved with the school district because of the referendum. For some background on this, back in 2018, there was an incident at a Carver County High School where a white student used a racial slur. So they brought in a consultant to do an equity review and to propose oh a plan forward. And uh, Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, equity sound- consultant. I mean, that, just, that word, I feel like it makes people cringe for some reason, you know? I, th- I can get the idea behind it, but and we don't even need well, to get into the philosophics behind it. But. No, but his name was super Muslim-sounding, and he did a poor job. Hmm. So it was just a bad time. Right. It became an issue at school board meetings when parents spoke out against the racism and demanded the district to do something, and when the parents of the black student who was insulted sued the district. It was like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, a reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> For lack of a better word, actually. Um, And as it was playing out, completely unrelated to those issues, the district decided that they needed more money for like pretty normal reasons that were completely unrelated to the incident. So the referendum was three questions. Um, Question number one was an operating levy to increase uh, per pupil investment from the local um, tax base. Question number two was a bond, and the bond is about buildings. So when people go out for bonds, we were looking to build a new elementary school. Mm -hmm. Um, We were also looking to um, build a bus garage. And so we are, you know, Carver County has for the last 10 years been the fastest growing county in the state of Minnesota, and we're also projected to be the fastest growing county for the next 10 years. We were good on the high school and and middle school levels for building space, but um, the enrollment projections were showing that we were going to run out of space in a couple of years at the elementary level. So... And then the third part of that bond for the uh, deferred maintenance uh, was the biggest part of the bond. This is capital improvement money like every business goes through, every homeowner goes through. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you've got to repair, uh, replace some electrical, some plumbing. So quite frankly, what you're describing to me sounds very boring. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't seem like anything too crazy or, you know, noteworthy. It's just business as usual. No, it was pretty straightforward local school stuff. And then a group of activists just parachuted into the middle of the situation. ...involved in to help educate people about the referendum. And so I went to a meeting um, in the first or second week of September, and it was sponsored by the school district, and it was every single school in the district had a site team. And the superintendent put on a nice presentation, as well as other people that were representing the school district. And they just kind of walked us through everything that was being asked for by the school district that year for the referendum. And uh, just, you know, points of, you know, data points and pieces of information to help educate people on. And I thought, wow, this is great. And this is a critical vote for us. You know, we need to get this thing passed. 
And then um, within a week, there was a, a, a video put out on social media by Alpha News, Alpha News Minnesota. And it was this, um, you know, 25-minute piece of propaganda. We've talked about this video before. And I actually put together a supercut of, like, the craziest shit they said in this video. Okay. For our Freedom Club episode last season. You're trying to tell me the Freedom Club isn't mixed up in all this mess somehow? Oh, God, man. No way. They're going to pop up a few times in this oh, conversation. I'm so disappointed. Or elated? <laughs> so here's the video. This paper is a blueprint for elevating the culture of Islam above American culture in the schools. The George Soros-funded extremist organization. And that he hosted an anti-Trump rally at the... An organization run by Muslim Brotherhood. Equity. Critical race theory. <laughs> Cultural Marxism. If you give them $120 million for Equity. another elementary school and a host of other things... They will only have more power to fundamentally transform the district. Oh my God. Can you hear the terror in their voices? So that's the video he's referencing when we talked about in, uh, back in episode four last season. Wow. You can re-listen to that for all the details, but really briefly, Don Huizanga, who... Huizanga? 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 <laughs> How do you spell that? Like Jenga, oh. but who is that before it? Sounds very European. Foreign to me. <laughs> well, he's the gentleman who narrated that video. He's also been a plaintiff on an anti-teacher union lawsuit filed by the Upper Midwest Law Center, the legal activism wing of the Center of the American Experiment. Mm. Um, a parent from Carver County who Zach connected me with sent me screenshots of Huizenga and another activist from outside the district who also has connections to the Freedom Club in a Facebook group chat whipping parents to turn out to school board meetings. Um, and then there's this slickly produced Alpha News video. Alpha News got like $40,000 from the Center of the American Experiment that year. There's a campus group called Turning Points USA. TPUSA is what I've heard them called. <laughs> Toilet Paper USA. The same year, Center of the American Experiment threw them like twenty dollars or $30,000 too. Well, if, and if you go to their website, talk about a well-produced, beautiful to interact with like website with, with this rolling video in the background, which shows parents showing up at school board meetings and screaming at people at whoever's on the other side of the microphone and it's a super cut clip just like we just listened to this is part of the playbook this is not the grassroots activism by concerned parents it pretends to be that video had high production value really had kind of like an ominous tone to it like guess what's going on in your school district and i just thought man i I have children in this school. I'm involved. I just thought, man, this is not at all like my experience. But it felt like this was raising a lot of questions and really feeding into a lot of the, you know, like the QAnon stuff, really outlandish theories about um, how teachers in our school community were trying to indoctrinate children into the Muslim faith. They were white Christian shaming and all these things. And I just thought, man, I just... I got to understand why these people are pumping out all this rhetoric. And I was finding that a lot of people behind it either didn't live in our school district or they didn't have kids in our school district. And I thought, well, who are they talking to and where are they getting these crazy theories from? You know, it, it created a, a real um, uh, kind of an environment of fear with all of the vitriol that was going on. I think school board members and 
teachers, same thing, didn't want to stand up and talk because it felt so politically charged. There was so much to try to explain to people about yeah. what the school district was, was asking for and why that the attention span of most people is pretty minimal. And with all the salacious allegations going around about Muslim indoctrination, what was happening overall, Logan, is that the accusation was made, these people are shaming white Christians, which makes up like 90% of our community. And if they're going to do that in your classroom, do you want to trust them with enrollment figures? Do they really need a bus garage? Why weren't they paying for this stuff as they needed? What kind of fiscal responsibility is that? And there were some local residents that were part of this group, but to me, from my perspective, they were being co-opted by some of these socio-political warriors that run around the state and get involved in everything. They were just basically trying to damage the reputation of the leadership in the school district, uh, paint them in a way that made it look like these people are not capable of managing your kids. They can't manage your money. What are you doing? Vote no for this thing. Uh-huh. That's what it felt like to me, at least. All these things, you know, so you go racist incidents, equity audit survey, and, you know, then you go through a summer of really intense school board meetings. So, um, November 5th, 2019, the final vote came out, and it, and it lost on the first two questions by just a couple hundred votes. Question three, which was a, a renewal of the tech levy, that actually passed. And then it was a really long, hard, you know, last couple months of that calendar year. And you get into 2020, um, before anybody knew what COVID-19 was, the district had already been setting up community meetings to talk about the cuts, increasing class sizes, you know, reducing class offerings. And that's when just the real, uh, the reality really set in for a lot of people that, my God, when they said that if this thing doesn't pass, we're going to have to make cuts, they were serious. The right isn't a monolith. I don't want to say that this is all being orchestrated in like a smoky fucking oil tanker somewhere. I don't know, man. The same way that they would accuse us of orchestrating something like this. Yeah, except that know. except it would be like an LSD orgy, which like, <laughs> just, like just proves how much cooler than them we are, I think. <laughs> With the Rothschilds DJing and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man, how do I get to those parties? You know, I know, right? you, you gotta know the secret go words. <laughs> what? <laughs> Can't let you in yet, Logan. <laughs> Damn, it's this objectivity. It's just killing me. Yep. Killing me. Um, <laughs> but the Freedom Club like, has connections to like other national conservative groups, including the Claremont Institute, mm-hmm. whose members and affiliates produced that 1776 report yep. that was like the Trump administration's answer to the 1619 project um that report has been described by the brilliant podcast know your enemy as quote the right's shabby response to the 1619 project in blueprint for how the american founding should be understood and taught education is like very central to a lot of the missions of these like national groups Mm -hmm. um that the freedom club network has connections to maintains connections to yeah, they want to tell their version of history because the actual one is a little bit inconvenient to their narrative. Mm-hmm. Especially involved in this is the center of the American experiment, um, which has been beating an anti-public education drum for years. Zach, the parent from Carver County, even cited a speaking tour organized by the center of the American experiment given by the uh, husband-wife duo Kendall and Sheila Qualls when I asked if the CRT issue was popping up in Carver County. Okay, we're going to switch gears here pretty good. 
I had been doing some research. Um, you know, my editor, Serene Sadeh, had actually reached out to me just saying to look into this. So that's an, you know, an easy way into a story. Yeah. But then I, I found out about this group and I saw they were having a tour actually in my hometown of Monticello. They were, they were stopping there. So I, was, I said, okay, let's go to my home turf to hear the crazy things they have to say. This is J.D. Duggan. Uh, they are a freelance reporter who wrote a piece for the uptake about this phenomenon back in November. They've since landed one of those sweet, sweet full-time journalism gigs that wow. seem to elude me, the lucky fucker. <laughs> yeah. It's a unicorn. But they were kind enough to speak to me. It was a, a tour put on by the Center of the American Experiment called the Raise Our Standards Tour. Um, Sheila and Kendall Qualls spoke, a, a black couple, um, and they basically went up and talked about how critical race theory is infiltrating our schools, permeating the, the school system, uh, indoctrinating the kids. Words like anti-racism, white privilege, um, cultural responsive teaching, ethnic studies, equity, are all code for critical race theory. They specifically said these words trick your brain because they sound good. They, they, they've turned it into this conspiracy that's happening in the schools that, that they just want to indoctrinate everybody. You know, it, it's, yeah, it's just the classic playbook, right? You know, and it, it, it's the center in the quals again. Well, and yeah, and the fact that they're clearly putting black folks up there to talk about race issues to be able to take the heat off of their racist policies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That does skip the, uh, the Qualls' agency. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I interviewed Kendall Qualls. It he's, does. He's hard. He believes this stuff. I know. I've met several of these guys. We've talked about the black confederate. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Not only are they like using people for their identity to deflect from their own terrible policy, but they are pumping the Fear into the parents. I watched, yeah, multiple school board meetings. It played out in different ways, in different places. Um, at the Qualls event, the Raise Our Standards tour, they talked about capitalism a good amount and traditional American ideas, which include the nuclear family, kind of what you'd imagine looking at a picture of a 50s suburban home. Yeah. Um, the white picket fence, this is how it's supposed to be. But when you saw it play out at school boards, it is even more overtly racist. There was one, one woman who brought up the indigenous children that had been found buried at boarding schools. And she tried to just take a moment of silence for that. And at least one person in the crowd kind of groaned audibly. It's been a lot more subversive than that. It's been a little quieter. It's just been, we don't want to talk about this. Um, and we shouldn't talk about this. It's hard to say what they're advocating for beyond we should keep doing the things the way we've always done them. We should keep traditional American values. Uh -huh. And to them, that includes capitalism, Christianity, and they might not say it out loud, but whiteness. Uh, Cinta Schmitz is, is one of the most interesting candidates that I came across. Um, she ran for Lakeville. I think she won. She helped co-found this group, Informed Fully Awake Parents. It's on Facebook. It's Ooh, awake, fully awake. Um, Some QAnon. It's yeah. subtlety there, um, and it's very. She talked to um, Chad Rothdell, uh, Redbeard. Familiar. I thought he you was might at J Six in DC. He was at J Six in DC. Um, 
and has just been a well-known right winger who's been at the governor's mansion many times when I've been there. Um, We've talked about him on the show before. I believe Friend of the that. show, Chad yes. Rothman. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's on his show talking to him while she's campaigning and calling things like transgenderism uh, a sick ideology created in hell. Um, she added, you know, CRT and social justice warriors into that. So it becomes this whole mess of just all of these things come together, lumped as one vaccines, masks, yeah. critical race theory. The funny thing about Schmitz is she, just like many of these other right-wing candidates, don't have kids in the public school district. So they're running for a school board for a school board that they, for a school district that their kids won't be in. How did all this fit? together i mean was it really just a grab bag that they just threw shit in and then like they said crt because it was sort of like this orwellian way to talk about this big negative feeling cloud i think there is some part of it that they have right in that crt is talking about social hierarchies based on race uh-huh. uh that seems to be maybe the only thing they know about what crt actually is um it seems that they think that if you tell a white cisgender boy that he is the oppressor, that boy is going to want to transition to be a girl to no longer be the oppressor. So that's how they tie that in there. The vaccine and mask thing, I think they are just, it's just them not trusting Democrats or science. What, what do you know about like the nationwide trend of schools and school boards being targeted by this rhetoric and by right-wing activism? Every school board that I looked at and every news article that I looked at nationally, locally, it's all the same thing. All of the same things are happening everywhere, including people leaving school boards because they just can't take it anymore. Yeah. Um, and including people coming up during kind of the community discussion part at the beginning and saying we should not be talking about equity in schools. Now, J.D. did a deep dive into this subject, but they don't, like, live there, you know, right. within Minnesota education. But I was fortunate enough to speak to someone who does, uh, a teacher at a high school in the suburbs of the Twin Cities. Uh, she was concerned about talking to the media, so I agreed to not use her name or say where she worked. Well, I'll just start with that, like, teaching is hard in general. Then if you add in current events that seem to be education-focused, it's now gotten harder. And somewhere along the line, the targets became the actual educators. So, and I include staff in that. I include administration in that. Obviously, school boards are seeing it and teachers. Um, you hate to make everything just about, like, politics, but... There was a drastic change in 2016 with the election of Donald Trump. And then I think as that time went on, and especially after he lost in 2020, it became like more orchestra. It was like, it doesn't matter what school you're teaching at, the language is the same, the organization is the same, the parent groups are often called something very similar they're all kind of operating from a certain set of talking points and the call for them to take on leadership roles in local elections is what becomes very scary is that they don't just want to 
protest and write letters and show up at meetings. And all of those things are fine. That's part of a working and active democracy. Mm -hmm. Where it becomes different is the threats. It's like, if you do this, I will get you fired. If you do this, you know, there are teachers in larger districts who have like full-blown death threats. Like it's, I'm not exaggerating. And it it is, it is that bad. And, um, you know, it's not like that for everybody. There's going to be a lot of teachers who don't have that experience, but things are pretty bad. Okay. So now, obviously, all this activism is couched in the language of protecting the children. And personally, I believe that they're being honest about that. Like, that's what they want. It's a sincere goal for the right-wing education activists. But what does it mean to them to protect children? Mm -hmm. Because they have a very particular idea about what that means. Right. I just think it's the next step of the pattern. And it's just more political marketing of like, what message is going to resonate with people? They found that critical race theory is the one. Yeah. Uh, you know, first you have, they're going to take our guns, and now they have, oh, critical race theory. You have those two things, and then abortion, and you can rile up a lot of Republicans very quickly. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> it's just, I, I, I hear what you're trying to do, and it's what I've been trying to do this whole time, and I haven't been able to. Just this, how does this fit into everything? And what do these people really want? Is this a sincere thing or is this a tactic? And it feels like it's both. If you look at what they're doing, that is trying to hold on to traditional American ideas. Critical race theory goes against traditional American ideas, or at least what we've been taught in schools since the 50s or whatever. But it is also this great organizing tactic. So I think there's a sincerity to it, but I also think there's some trickiness put into it too. If you go out and say, we think that systemic racism doesn't exist, and if it does, that's fine, you're not going to get the average parent in rural Minnesota to say, okay, yeah, I agree. But if you instead say, critical race theory is teaching your white son that he's bad, that parent is going to get protective, and they are going to get on board with this idea. I've been thinking a lot about this question since I recorded this interview about the sincerity behind this, how much of this is actually like their stated goals and how much of it is something else. And I have one more thought that, you know, I didn't have when I was talking to JD um, that I'd like to add. Um, Now, first to explain why, I want to talk about this. This is a bit from the teacher I interviewed. Earlier, you used an example of teaching a, 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 like a module or a section about early 20th century nationalism and getting some mm-hmm. pushback about that. Right. I, I just, I'm just being vague, I guess, about like the fact that a word like nationalism can now all of a sudden kind of spark a controversy that um you know wouldn't have before because we're not even talking about like modern day we're talking about something that happened on another continent in another country in another century another time um but like people will hear nationalism and then all of a sudden you know you get this sense of people feeling like on guard about it so if i understand you correctly it's almost like that 
some students, the ones I think you said who, you know, affiliate with uh, Donald Trump's uh, brand of politics, they're really defensive and on edge and looking for indoctrination and Right. See... And that's because they're told that by whoever these, like, parties are, right? They're told that, like, your teachers are trying to trick, you know, they're trying to indoctrinate you. They're trying to make you liberals. They're trying to, you know, tear away your freedom. And none of that is true. And, like, literally none of that is happening. And um, so, yeah, like, I do feel like they get on edge and they get defensive sometimes um, because they're expecting that, because they've been told to expect that. Um, so this is what I'm saying. Like, this is the orchestrated effort and the things that changed after his election versus before. Because there are people who vote voted for Republicans before Trump, and it, we never had this issue. Yeah. And now it's like all of a sudden all of this, like, terrible, it's just, hmm. it, I don't know, it's just so ugly. So... There's this old book, and I believe I've referenced it a bit before. It's called Fascism in Action, and it's a, a study of day-to-day -day life under fascist regimes, which was commissioned by the U.S. House of Representatives immediately after the Second World War and published in 1947. It's a flawed book. It, it really, like, shoehorns in anti-communism into the narrative in a super fucking weird way. Weird. That, like... Anti-Stalinism? Yeah, man, I'm down with that, but, like... Let's throw out the entirety of leftism. Yeah. I yeah. think because the United it's States weird. has always been trying to forge this, like, third way, this, like, capitalist, you know, neither fascist nor socialist kind of model. Yeah. Strictly American. But it was commissioned so close to the end of, like, proper, unarguable, like fascism classic right that like it has some important historical insights it's not without its values now one of the first chapters points out that the nazis targeted germany's education system as one of their first orders of business mm. now like when i spoke to those fascism experts last season one of the things they cautioned against unanimously was, like, the checklist definition of fascism. Like, so, like, I'm not saying that because, like, Nazism used the education system to indoctrinate students that the new American right is fascist because they do the same thing. Like, not saying that. Right. Um, I still don't think they, you know, they're, they're peri-fascists. Yeah, I'll draw that analogy. Fuck. Yeah, but... There's like a symmetry to the Nazi approach to education and the approach championed by significant factions of the new American right. So this is from Fascism in Action. Quote, The essence of education in totalitarian states was best expressed in the central doctrine of Nazism, Gleichschaltung, whose connotations is inadequately conveyed by the usual English translation, coordination. The Nazi state was defined as the national condition in which every human being thinks and acts in a way coordinated with the thoughts and actions of every other human being. Jeez. End quote. Geischeltung. Yeah, that, that's Geischeltung. Scary. It's scary. When you describe it like that, coordination, that makes me think of like 
what do they call it murmuration when birds like giant flocks of birds fly together and the way that oh, they yeah. communicate so that they don't crash into each other yeah it's like supersonic the way that their wings flap that's the way that they communicate so they're not even talking but they're staying in perfect coordination the entire time they know where they're going and yeah it's getting them all on the same page and program in terms yes. of how how do we approach this issue this issue and all the way down the line okay. they are in uniformity logan you're okay. scaring me you're freaking me out. hold it hold that fear in your mind for a moment <laughs> And this is the idea you're holding, right? The Nazi emphasis on schools as a place to inculcate a national identity. Right. Right? Yep. One where the individual is subordinated to the needs of the nation. Now, this is in contrast to the traditional liberal idea that schools need to inculcate skills and attitudes necessary for citizenship, which is like preparing individuals to take their place as members of the electorate who can promote their own interests while respecting their fellow citizens who may have divergent or even conflicting interests. So hold those ideas in your mind and listen to this. Oh my god, This is man. a real B&H customer story. Advertisement, give me a second. Oh, I was going to say, what the fuck does B&H have to do with this? I like B&H. We got a sponsor. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Who is this? This is Yoram Hazoni. And it's a speech that he gave at the National Conservatism Conference in November 2021, very recently. Nice. He is the chairman of the organization that hosted the conference. He's not obscure. No, big name. Yeah. The speakers this year also included Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Peter Thiel, and Josh Hawley. Like, this is not an obscure thing. So your biggest names in Republicans right there. Yeah. You choose to be a minority, that means that your life is just a little bit harder. I think being a Jew is worth it, all right? I don't know whether it's true or not that 2% of the population are, 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 are genetically predisposed to be gay, but I do know that just like Judaism was used as an excuse to, to clear the public space of Christianity, now, LGBTQ is being used as an excuse to clear the public space of things that are, that are pro-traditional uh, pro marriage, pro-traditional family, certainly Christianity, Bible, Judaism. I mean, all these things can just be driven from the public space because they can be offensive to, you know, to 2% of the population. And our prints and people in their bedrooms, okay, but 2% of the population is not 80% of the population. And a country needs to have public norms. And the public norms of a country, where, where, or at least those states that are left where there are, is a majority of Christian, the public norms have to be Christian. And I'm talking the whole way. God and scripture, a, a Christian moral life, Christian moral teachings, these things should be legitimate. It's a democracy. There's a majority, a large majority. It's just my proposal. Where, there, where there's a majority of a certain culture they get the cult, they get the public culture. What gays need, 
what Jews need, what any other minority that you, small minority that you can name, what we need is carve out so we can live our lives freely. But we do not need automatically to twist the public the culture of this nation into something that supposedly caters to us, but actually is only trying to de destroy the culture of the majority. We're not going to do that anymore. So here is a conservatism that I think that... What, I mean, am I wrong? Oh what, do you, what, what do you think of that? So there's this analysis of Hezoni's speech, the one he gave here, and the sort of like synthesizing that speech with his panel appearance at the conference. Um, it's written by a gentleman named Bradford Littlejohn, which I thought was a pseudonym. It's not. He's got you that know? big slug energy, you know? Yeah, I gotcha. Um, Newman. <laughs> the Newman energy! <laughs> Newman energy! <laughs> I I think I think we can meme it into we existence. have to give um Steve Bannon a quarter now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I'll throw it at him. <laughs> <laughs> this Bradford Littlejohn um is a senior fellow at the Edmund Burke Foundation, which Hazoni is the chair of. Okay. Littlejohn explicitly <laughs> Yeah, I know. You can't say Lil John because then it's like. I thought what? it was a pseudonym. I I spent like twenty minutes. Okay, like, is this really his name? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's really his name. Little John, um, the yeah. East Side Boys. But he explicitly connects Hazoni's ideas to public schools, mm. and he says that Hazoni quote insists that as long as a religious and moral tradition has a plausible claim to cultural dominance, what? it is entirely justified in using the institutions of the state to support, protect, and perpetuate that tradition. Oh my God, what a nut bar. In his lecture, as well as in the Monday night panel discussion, Hazoni recurred over and over to education to make his arguments. If we are not willing to fight to get God and scripture back into the schools, then there's no point in fighting for anything because this is the battle that will decide all others in the end. Now, there's some great logical gymnastics oh here. I know. I can't I follow it. I don't love it. Well, I think that it, they work backwards. They work backwards from their conclusion to justify their current state or whatever their position is. This is all in the best interest of national cohesion. Like, that's the undercurrent to what he's saying. Sure. There is a majority, and, and we just have to have this national cohesion. But if we even take which that— Which bears I... more than a passing resemblance to Guy Scholtung, yeah. the birds right. flying in cohesion. Right. It doesn't really matter what pattern the birds fly to, so long as we're all flying together. Right. Now, yeah. there are important similarities and differences in the character of that national cohesion, you know, between Nazi Germany— and this, like, longed-for, again, great America that Hazani and others really, like, want to see happen. Right. Like, uh, for example, they both downplay the role of rationality and play up the role of natural law. But there's, like, again, I really want to stress the differences, too, because they're important. Like, Nazism was much, much more explicitly racist and much more explicitly lionized violence and like a will to power. But the important thing for our conversation tonight is the similarity in like their understanding of the role that education plays in the subordination of the individual to a national identity. 
they're all trying to like beat each other out for like the hardest edge too it's like a race towards the most depraved shit on the right man his there's like five or six times in his 25 minute speech where he's like you're not gonna like this or like this might sound oh, really extreme. Don't cut yourself on all that edge, bro. Yeah, you we'll know? see who actually agrees with what I'm about to say. It's a fucking self-licking ice cream cone, a self-reinforcing echo chamber. I just want to call back to what that teacher said about nationalism and how on edge um, some of her students were mm-hmm. when she started talking about nationalism, early 20th century nationalism being bad. Again, this is the shit that gave rise to Nazism. Right. And... I, I don't know her curriculum. I don't know this. But but I assume that the context in which she's talking about is that. And the reaction of the student mm-hmm. who's being inculcated into this culture mm-hmm. was that like, oh, you're making you're critiquing nationalism? Right. They're seeing we're seeing the culture war that is normally played out on social media and sometimes in protest mm-hmm. now being reflected into the school system. <laughs> And I think the teachers are fucking horrified, as they rightfully should be. Yeah, well, I mean, my takeaway, too, is that, and this is important, is that, like, when we look at this phenomenon of right-wing educational activism, nationalism is a major fucking part of it. It is. Okay, so the teacher I spoke to told me that the next big thing will be something called the, quote-unquote, Parents' Bill of Rights. Guess who introduced in the U.S. Senate, the legislation for the Parents' Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Josh Hawley. Uh, I, I couldn't keep Damn the secret. It. It was Josh Hawley. A man Shit. who was presumably in the audience for his own speech. Likely. Yeah. I mean, he was one of the keynote speakers for the conference also. He's possibly a presidential candidate in 2024, too. This particular piece of legislation has eight points, which range from already law (laughs) Mm -hmm. to like probably will cause a massive headache for local schools with little or no benefit Mm. for instance it would require school board meetings to be public which they are oh wow really it would also mandate that it would also mandate that information about individuals and institutions receiving funding from schools be public Already is. Which it, it is. is. Oh, it is. Fuck these people. Fuck Where have you been? You should have been to the last eight school board meetings, Peg. Jeez. Oh. But it will also require that parents be able to visit their children at school any at any moment, any fucking time they that want. That is dangerous, and I don't like that. Well, it's like... That's, that's a bad precedent. What if yeah. a parent is in a fucking... You know, there's custody stuff all the time that these schools deal with. Crazy parents showing up all the time. You can't just show up well, you know, and get I, access to your kid whenever you want at school. I interviewed this teacher who was like a nominee for the Minnesota Teacher of the Year mm-hmm. who got her start under Ceausescu's Romania. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And under a fucking totalitarian regime. And yeah. she talked about one of the tactics was like the state would just send people to supervise them. Mm-hmm. Like they'd just be like fucking state employees watching her teach. I, I struggle to understand what benefit this rule would have except allowing local organizations on the left or the right to deputize their members to just fucking censor teachers in real time. Right. Well, I think that's, yeah, I think that is where it's heading, especially with this yeah. push from the right. What is their thing? We, we don't want you talking about CRT. 
We don't want you talking about equity or whatever. Well, that's censorship, isn't it? Aren't they? Isn't this the party that's anti-censorship? But they're going to look to censor people from talking about these fundamental facets mm -hmm. to the history of our country. So this is a quote from Ed Week, which is a news outlet that focuses on national education news. Quote, Politicians and others trying to draw on anxiety and dissatisfaction with schools on a variety of issues pushed education to the center of the political stage this election season and will likely try to keep them there through midterm elections next year. Whether such efforts will succeed depends on many variables, but Virginia's gubernatorial election results, where GOP winner Glenn Youngkin made schools the emotional core of his message to voters, could serve as a springboard for candidates looking to make inroads among key voting blocks. I'm looking at your face, and like your face says, yeah. that's a depressing thought. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, I, we knew as soon as that VA gubernatorial race was done that they're going to look at this as a model. Mm -hmm. And absent any kind of meaningful rebuke from the left, any meaningful hey, way to, hey. to address these talking points from these fucking gaslighting assholes, they're going to steamroll in 2022 and 2024. Did I promise you a little bit of hope, a little bit of good news at the end? Please, God, I need it. <laughs> and then let's f jump forward then to 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, the district repeated the referendum ask, or was it a were there change, substantial changes to what they were asking for? Um, they asked for quite a bit less this year. All they asked for was just an operating levy, and they passed it, and handily, seventy percent support. Tell me about that campaign then. Uh, just a couple weeks before the actual vote, uh, the gentleman who actually was the registered figurehead of the, you know, uh, anti school district campaign in 2019, he popped up again and tried to put together a last-minute kind of a group and, you know, centered around um, masking policies and um, last-minute sort of through a Hail Mary. They no organized, no organized, no group this time. Um, there was some pretty intense school board meetings, but it had nothing to do with the referendum. In the lead-up to the last referendum, did you hear from any parents expressing regret for voting against the referendum in 2019? Not directly. Indirectly, okay. kind of anecdotally, I would hear things. Um, I think more than anything, I think uh, there was just a lot of complacency. People either not knowing there was a vote or just assuming it was going to pass. And okay. So many things have changed in the last two years, too. Um, yeah. The pandemic shifted the conversation. The budget cuts, too. I mean, people saw it firsthand, like stressed out teachers, exploding classroom sizes, lack of options available for their middle or high school students. Um, and then when distance learning happened, and you saw firsthand how hard the teachers were working and everything they had to deal with and the number of students they had in their classrooms, I think a lot of goodwill was built up in that. And so we sort of created another perfect storm this year, but in a really good way. Yeah. You know, the one that brings the rainbow and sunshine as soon as it waters all the crops so they can grow big and beautiful, you know? At the end of the day, we can't wait for like a department to get started or um, a group to say, you know, well, let's um, designate this person to do this, this and that. So many people out there want to get involved in a good way. And they're just waiting for someone to give them an opportunity to do it or a platform to do it. In. And I think 
when we got our group Team 112 started in the wake of the 2019 referendum failing, um, it's amazing how many people have turned out. There were so many people out there just like, I want to get involved, just tell me how, tell me what to do. Don't collaborate with me, give me the plan. You know, and it was great. It was awesome. It's been amazing just seeing how people have responded to like, what can I do to help my school district and my community? Because there's such a tight relationship in that, that to me, I, my, my new mantra is you get to decide where you live. And I'm not talking just geographically, but if you want to have a community that has a lot of goodwill in it, start by giving some goodwill. You know, if you want to have, be in a community that is, um, you know, mindful of things, being fiscally responsible, but also not afraid to invest in things and seeing what that ROI is and the potential for that, then just do that. Get involved, you know, be that person. You know, it's sort of um, how you show up is where you live. You know, that's my. Um, I always fall back on. We're going to need everybody. We're going to need as many people as we can from every block of life, uh -huh. from the communities and the schools and workplaces. We really just need to get back to the bare bones of talking to each other again, engaging in constructive debate. You know, if you don't agree with someone on everything, that's fucking oh, good. Oh, shit. I forgot to hit record. You're kidding. Yes, I am. Oh. Ah! Oh, I knew you. I knew Welcome that was back, happening. season three. Oh. <laughs> oh, those and many more surprises are in store for you, dear listener. <laughs> I was frozen in the heat of mid-July when I had an epiphany that sent me spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. Spiraling down a long dark hallway, glowing red like the neural pathways inside of my head on the sixth floor. We just want to say thank you again for listening to our humble little program, especially after a six month hiatus. Yeah, it's been a long time, but we're kind of shooting for more of a seasonal format and allowing us time to. Yeah. You know, yeah. avoid the deadly plague oh, circulating oh outside. It's so intentional and healthy. Spend time with approach. our family, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pay the yeah. bills. Oh, keep giving us money, please. Yeah, I mean, paying the bills <laughs> so that we don't end up outside, that's mm -hmm. nice. That's mm -hmm. important. Oh, my God. It's so holistic here. Just, yeah. just... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to our... I, I haven't even checked, man. I I'm have such a Patreons terrible capitalist. <laughs> I don't know. We got maybe some Patreon subscribers haven't canceled their subscriptions in the last six months. <laughs> if so, we really appreciate I really it. We need to check that. We uh, owe you one. But you got us new microphones. You did. I really, really appreciate it. They sound good. We also have got a new, what do they call that? This is Behringer. New interface? Yeah. yeah. UMD 404 HD. So we're still we're bootstrapping it, but you know what? We're stepping up in the world. Yeah, we're not even bootstrapping anymore, man. We are fully enjoying the largesse of others' bootstraps. <laughs> so keep sending us your straps. Keep, keep sending them leather bits for us to chew. La, la, la. Uh, we, don't, we don't need it. Uh, I'm going to rip a quote from you, and that's journalism is a community project. <laughs> I do. I like that one, and I do believe it. And uh, I just, again, I really appreciate everyone who keeps listening to us, who tells their friends about us. 
You know, if you got that friend that's political, shoot them our podcast. Shoot them oh a link. God. Maybe they get into it. Maybe they don't. But, you know, it, I had, it's nice. I had an interaction with a woman who told me she listened to the podcast um, within the last couple months. And, and, and she and I ended our interactions on a really weird note and i felt super nervous about it because like i don't think we can afford to lose that (laughs) That listener i don't think we can afford keep help us jesus christ please we're desperate please don't go please but no we're we're desperate but we're also not that desperate we do it because we're thoroughly obsessed with this fucking shit for some reason you and i are weirdos giving up all hope of anything to come and that 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 frees you (sighs) nothing to lose man that's true that's true. Tagline. <laughs> season two. Tagline. Nothing to lose. I thought we we're on season three. Season three. Season three. You keep going at season I three. Keep, I keep not wanting to count all that really intense, brilliant, if I'm being humble, mm-hmm. Pulitzer Prize winning worthy. Come on. <laughs> <my> t- Come <laughs> on. first season. Come on. A little <laughs> humble brag is good every now and then, you know? But no, we really appreciate it. Please keep an eye on our social media. Shoot us some money on Patreon if you can. Share the link around. Um, and check out the music that we have included in our bumper music tonight. I don't know who our bumper music is, but you'll find out. Oh, my God. You don't know? You, you don't recognize this music? It's fucking awesome, man. How do you not know these people? They're fucking amazing. Well, I'll wait until you tell us who it is. <laughs> And I will go like them on Facebook and Twitter, and I'll buy their music. I'll buy all their music on Bandcamp. Speaking of which, our Twitter handle is unbalanced. Our Twitter, our Twitter handle is unbalanced underscore mn, and we are on Patreon at patreon.com/slash/unbalancedmn. Please give us money. Thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> and good night. We're gonna sell it on the mountain. Bumper music this week is Adrift, 53, and Epiphany Song by Pine and Fire. Pine and Fire consists of two working class queers from the Twin Cities. You can find their new EP, The Sun, on Bandcamp and most other streaming platforms, and you can follow them on Instagram, at pineandfire. All lowercase, no spaces, no punctuation. Our theme song is, as always, It's About Fucking Time by Dan Carroll, featuring Wesley Mitchell on drums. <laughs>